conservation cannot happen on an empty stomach. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Rasafari Podcast. I am so glad to have y'all with me today for an incredibly important conservation-themed episode. First, let's get to some important housekeeping stuff. You can find out all the information about me and the podcast at www.rasafari.com. Make sure you're following along on Instagram and Facebook at Rasafari. Of course, there's always the way to support the podcast, which is patreon.com slash rossafari, where you can become a monthly supporter, rossafari.redbubble.com for some show merch, and of course, don't forget to click subscribe on whatever podcast app you're using so you don't miss an episode. Also, if you're using Apple Podcasts, make sure you give me a five-star rating, and if you could take a couple seconds and leave a quick review, it would help people find the show and also make my heart happy. Y'all, when I first heard of the Red Panda Network, I assumed that it was like Facebook for Firefoxes, a place for red pandas to just connect, talk about the best kind of bamboo and stuff like that. Turns out, that's not the case. All dumb jokes aside, I truly, truly believe that Red Panda Network is one of the best conservation organizations out there, and I am really excited to be bringing you an episode focused entirely on them, in which I talk to Terrence Fleming, Development Manager at Red Panda Network. Now, obviously, we're going to be talking a lot about red pandas, and if you've ever listened to the podcast, you know that this is my favorite animal. That said, What we're really going to focus on today is conservation, and especially community-based conservation. Red Panda Network is not just amazing because they are trying to save my favorite animal. They are amazing because they are truly some of the leaders in the global conservation effort. And they are learning daily how helping people can help animals. We're going to talk all about that and so much more. And don't worry. You're definitely going to hear a lot of cool red panda stuff as well. So without further ado, I bring you my interview with Terrence Fleming from Red Panda Network. All right, Terrence. So thanks for joining me today. And uh, can you start off by telling me who you are, where you work, and what you do there? Yeah, so my name is Terrence Fleming, and I am the development manager with Red Panda Network. So my role is fund development, marketing, and communications, and I'm part of the U.S. team. Awesome. And uh, Red Panda Network has a U.S. team, but you're also heavily uh, present in Nepal where you're doing the conservation work, correct? Uh, Yeah. So I, I collaborate with our Nepal team, our conservation team, on uh, various campaigns and educational campaigns um, and, yeah, fundraising campaigns as well. 
Very cool. Uh, I know that those are pretty successful because you've definitely gotten uh, more than a few bucks out of my pocket from uh, from time to time. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for supporting us. We of course. really appreciate it. So before we get into the details about what Red Panda Network does, um, something has stood out to me while doing this podcast, and I want to tell you about it and then also kind of ask for your take on it. Um, Regardless, now, I am a huge Red Panda fan, and they come up on a lot of the episodes, but not all of them, not not all of them. And even when we're not talking Red Pandas, when I ask zookeepers or other conservation professionals what organizations they want to shout out um, and what they believe are like really great examples of good conservation organizations, Red Panda Network gets mentioned so often that it's almost comical. Because it almost seems like I'm telling people to do it because I love Red Pandas and Red Panda Network so much. So um, first, congrats on that. That's amazing. And second of all, how do you guys um, – how have you managed to become this just amazing example of, of what a conservation organization can be? Wow, that's so cool to hear. I, I, I guess I didn't know that. I mean – I know zoos work with a lot of fantastic organizations that, you know, are committed to saving so many important and threatened species, but it's, it's really great to hear that, you know, we're liked by the zoo community because they are such a, just a, a important part of our support pool. Um, I mean, I, my guess is that, one of the reasons why people want to support us besides red pandas just being adorable and so likable is our work. And we, and we really try to emphasize this in our, in our communications is, you know, we're very community based in our approach to conservation. So, um, you know, obviously saving red pandas is our mission, but we, achieve that in the context of supporting local people and their livelihoods. Our country director in Nepal, Ang Puri Sherpa, you know, he has a, he has a, a line that he says sometimes that I, I really like to share. I think it's really great is conservation cannot happen on an empty stomach. And that's just, you know, that sort of priority is what drives our work in Nepal. Um, and, you know, our forest guardian program is obviously a good example of that. Our, um, uh, you know, sustainable living center, a number of programs are, are created to support local people. And I, I think, you know, zoos included and, and people who are part of the zoo community see that. And I think that really resonates with people because while these threatened species are, you know, such a priority. Um, we also know that people who are experiencing poverty and just, you know, lack of opportunities for their, for their livelihoods, you know, they also need support. And if they're not being supported, then the odds of us being successful in saving these species is greatly, re greatly reduced. So I, I, th I'm, my assumption is that's, that's part of why we're liked is because that's, that's how we save red pandas is by working with local communities and, and helping them commit to 
conserving red pandas. Well, yeah, I think that's really important. We're definitely going to get into some of those programs. But also, I feel like you guys just do a really great job managing your money. I don't think uh, anyone's getting super rich working at a Red Panda <laughs> Network. And, um, you know, I, I know that I feel like every time that I give y'all money, you do a great job not just using it, but showing you know, asking for money for a specific thing and then showing that it happened. And I just, I love how transparent your organization is. I think that's amazing. Thank you. That's, that's really great feedback, you know, especially for me, you know, who I, I, as I mentioned, I do a lot of our communications, um, you know, in, in collaboration with our, our field team, um, and that's that's one of our goals when it comes to our donor relations is is to make sure that our our donors and our members and our partners out are seeing the impact they're making with their contributions and you know by by being transparent and how donations are being used to you know create better lives and to protect red pandas is is definitely part of our, our objective. So that's really great feedback. Thank you. Absolutely. So tell me on a personal level, why are you Terrence working for the Red Panda Network? <laughs> great question. So what's funny is like a lot of people, when I first saw a Red Panda, I had no idea what it was. I was I think I was probably 17 or 18 and I was at the San Diego Zoo and I saw a sign for the red panda exhibit and walking over there, I looked over the, the, the enclosure wall and saw what I thought was a toddler in a costume because (laughs) this red panda just happened to be walking on its hind legs for whatever reason. I have no idea why. Uh, Honestly, I've never seen a red panda do that in person except to get treats, you know, right, if, right. if the, uh, if the zookeeper is holding the treats up, the red panda will, you know, go on its hind legs, um, sometimes, but yeah, it was really odd. I, I, I had never heard of a red panda and, um, you know, I, I majored in biology with an emphasis on conservation in college. And, um, I actually got the job as a, as a part-time, uh, situation while working for the university of california in their um office of advancement which essentially is fundraising and outreach but um i mean as i learned more and more about red pandas i like a lot of people fell in love with them and i just got really fortunate to be able to you know um take on new roles within within the organization you know going from administrative duties to being able to use my nonprofit and fundraising background on the development team and now development manager. And, um, I mean, when it comes to, I mean, in college, I wrote my, you know, senior dissertation on tigers. And I just remember being so upset about how few tigers there were and are, um, Although I think I think there's evidence that their numbers are growing, but 
anyway, and with red pandas, it's a similar situation where such a important and unique species to our global bio- biodiversity is being threatened. And, you know, just the, the, just the thought of losing red pandas or tigers or any of our favorite animals, just, it really, you know, struck me to the core and like any cause that's, that's dear to someone, I just really wanted to do something to, you know, keep them around and realizing that not only do I get to help do that, but I also get to enhance the lives of people that live among the red pandas. I, you know, I, I really love my job and I love that I get to do that. And, um, it was, you know, it was a, it was a call to action and and I listened. So that's, that's why I'm, why I'm here. That's awesome. I love that. And, um, you are also a hobbyist drummer, correct? (laughs) I am. Yeah. I've, I've, uh, I've been drumming for, I don't know, over 20 years now and, uh, I haven't been doing it as much lately, uh, given our current situation, but I, yeah, I, uh, I do love playing drums. I actually had a, a solo project in for a while where I would just loop piano and drum over and it was called lesser Panda. Um, (laughs) I I keep thinking about bringing it back now that, especially now that I'm not in a band or anything, but, uh, yeah, I, I like that name. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, that's great. I have a I have a proposal for you. I say we should do a Freaky Friday move, and you go out on one of my tours, and I'll come work for Red Panda Network for a little bit, and we just won't tell anyone. It'll just be we'll just switch. What do you think? I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Deal. Perfect. You had me at uh, at me coming on tour with you. <laughs> Yeah, I just I you know drumming was always my dream and always my passion, but um as I've gotten more and more into conservation, I I keep looking for other opportunities to to help whether it's the the podcast or or whatever. So uh I I think we should freaky friday it up for like a week. <laughs> I love it. I love this plan. Amazing. All right, cool. So, um let's get a little more serious. I want you to tell me about Forest Guardians and and really go into detail here. Let's let's explain the heart of this program because it's it's amazing. Thank you. Yeah. So forest guardians are really the heart of our community-based work. The, um, the idea is to create an opportunity for local people to, uh, sort of take ownership of the, you know, local environment of the forests to become, um, invested in the forests, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, approaches we, we use with this is, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a citizen scientist idea and except they're paid. Um, so they do research, they monitor red panda habitat and populations. Um, and then there's also sort of a forest steward level to this too, where, they also protect the forests. Um, they they do anti poaching patrols. They remove traps and snares. They report any activity that um, you know signs of poaching or poachers to enforcement agencies. They also you know educate local communities. They work with them in finding alternative and sustainable ways to live their daily lives. 
um, they work within their own villages. So, so they're, you know, I mean, this is, this essentially the definition of community-based work. Um, yeah, I mean, our team, I, I think when I first started with Red Panda Network, which was back in, uh, 2013, we had around 30, 30 something forest guardians. And now we have, I think 111 in Nepal. So it, it, it consistently grows. And I mean, yeah, it's, it's one of the, the programs that I love communicating about the most because I'm, I think that it really is sort of the solution to conserving species in a way that's sustainable and responsible. And yeah, and they're the people that end up becoming forest guardians are just incredible. I mean, you know, like some of the more just amazing stories is people who were poachers and then they become forest guardians. Oh, wow. Um, That's incredible. Yeah. And what, what's interesting too, is that something that I think maybe people don't always realize when it comes to poaching is, you know, a lot of times that is due to poverty and due to lack of, of livelihood opportunities. Um, you know, what, what we've learned is these people who were, who had done or were involved in poaching and then later became forest guardians is, you know, they didn't want to poach. They didn't want to, you know, capture, harm any animals. They just needed to live. They needed to support themselves and their families. And so programs like the forest guardian program is what it does. It's, you know, here is, here's a way you can support yourself um, or help to support yourself and your family. And you can do something you're proud of and you can contribute to, you know, preserving the forest that you and your community depend on. Um, And rather than, you know, contribute to the degradation or the loss of habitat and species. So, um, yeah, the, the forest guarding program is something we're very proud of and it's something that we'll continue to expand. Um, and yeah, and there's a lot of other really, I don't know if you've seen, uh, uh, Gujan Menon's the Firefox guardian documentary yet, but it's, it's superb. And it's, uh, it's about the first female forest guardian, Manuka. And it's, she calls it a, a conservation love story. And actually she was recently, a guest on our uh, live chat called the first Panda forum. And uh, I mean, that story is just incredible. And it, it's, it's, it actually, I mean, I, I know from writing about them, every forest guardian has a pretty remarkable story and we try to convey those stories as much as we can. Uh, but, you know, Manuka being the first female and just being involved in in this cause for so long, um, you know, despite the adversity she has experienced, you know, despite the obstacles she has experienced as, as a woman in rural Nepal, 
you know, it's, it's so inspiring and it's, it's incredible. And if anyone hasn't seen that documentary, I encourage you to, to watch it. Awesome. So speaking of the forest guardians, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm a big fan of the program, but I, I have a bone to pick with y'all. I do not going to lie. Um, <laughs> I am so jealous of the jackets that your forest guardians get. And I don't <laughs> understand why you won't sell them as merch. I want one so badly. They're so cool. You're not the first person to have expressed that. And I, I don't want to rub it in, but I do have one. Oh my God. All right. That's not even, that's not even fair. That's not even fair. (laughs) (laughs) But Hey, but actually in my defense, it did take me a long time to get one. Um, like I like recently got it. Okay. (laughs) Like last year, seven years later. Wow. 2019. Yeah. Um, (laughs) yeah, they, and, and you know, a, a large, actually I would say that the reason why we don't sell them on our website is because uh, shipping things from Nepal is not easy to do. Oh, so those are actually made in Nepal, or they are. Oh, oh, yeah. Well, now I get why you don't sell them, and I want yeah. one even more. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. The more exclusive something is, the more. Maybe that's why we're doing that. Maybe that's why we're not offering them because, you know. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. At least. Mm, every three or four times that you guys post something about them, I go back to the website to see if I missed it yet. I, I'm, I'm obsessed with those jackets. So. Okay, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll try to shake things up and see if we can. Yeah, because yeah, because those are not just something amazing. I, yeah, no, I, I, I love my forest garden jacket. I wear it, especially now that it's the rainy season. I'm, I'm wearing it pretty often. So, so tell me about the recent stove initiative that you guys did because I thought that was really cool and it felt really good to donate to that. Um, it's, it's part of our sustainable livelihoods uh mission uh you know the forest gardening program is is a part of that and so we work with local communities to provide improved cooking stoves so these are metal stoves that require significantly less uh firewood they um they have chimneys so they you know they produce um less or no uh indoor pollution and our campaign right now is to number one provide every forest guardian and their family with one and uh also to provide local community members uh like people who own own homestays so if you don't know what a homestay is at least in this context is they are local people or families who provide accommodations for people who are on eco trips or are part of some sort of um, you know sustainable travel, uh, which includes our eco trips that we do to Nepal. Um, so, yeah, and our, our campaign is to pr- provide these people um, with a improved cook cook stove i don't have the numbers right in front of me but um it's a oh it's it's 85 so so i think about 30 of our forest guardians 25 to 30 of our forest guardians currently have them because we've provided them to them and our goal is to provide the remaining 85 forest guardians um which we've started doing and then there's also about 100 110 homestay 
owners and community members that we're also going to be providing new stoves to. So that's the objective. And this is a, I, this is also an, an initiative that I, I really feel passionate about. And it, again, it's because it kind of, the, the, the need expands beyond just, you know, a conservation goal. Uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't really know this until I started working with Red Panda Network, but uh, 4 million people die every year from illnesses that are attribu- attributable to indoor air pollution uh, caused by use of traditional cooking stoves. So, you know, we're talking metal or, uh, sorry, um, like mud, <laughs> like mud stoves. I mean, I mean the, just not very efficient stoves that produce a lot of indoor air pollution. Um, and, and, you know, and, and aside from that, there's just, there, you know, there's just a really high level of respiratory illness in a lot of these rural communities um, all over, you know, the Himalayas. And so in Nepal, this program will not only drastically reduce that, but it will also, because these stoves require less, you know, wood, um, which, you know, fuel wood harvest is a, a very, um, it's a primary reason for, for forests to be degraded and to be, uh, cut down in, in, uh, red panda range areas. So, these stoves will require about 50% less fuel wood. Um, so that'll help to conserve the forest. And then also there's another level too, that's really interesting is because these stoves are so much more efficient, they require a lot less time um, to use and to also, you know, gather fuel wood and, and whatnot. So, so people will just have more time, which, you know, living in these very remote rural areas, a lot of, people's time is spent surviving it's it's spent doing these daily things to you know gather resources they need uh, including you know firewood um which they won't have to do as much which will give them more time to do other things that you know they want to do that help them live so that's really incredible yeah i don't think that most people would think of building stoves as you know helping save animals but it really does and um i think it's awesome both that y'all have uh people who are thinking of stuff like that and who are aware of that and and can build those programs and also again it, it goes back to i just have to praise the communication again because i mean i'm not gonna lie the first time that you guys sent something out and said hey help us build stoves i was like <laughs> Uh, no, but then I read it and I was like, oh, okay, this is actually going to really like, you do such a great job explaining why it helps pandas and, you know, helping people is good too, I guess, but, um, (laughs) we want to help both. Um, but yeah, I just, I find that really cool. I find that most, uh, I mean, I talk to a lot of great conservationists and, you know, the focus is normally on what can we do to help the animals? And that's really important. But the community-based conservation efforts of Red Panda Network really impress the heck out of me. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. That's awesome. So let's talk about um, the uh, the Plant a Red Panda Home Initiative. Yeah. So that is another community-based program. Um, it is essentially 
in response to devastating levels of deforestation that are happening in Nepal. And a, a, a big reason for that is, uh, you know, threats like fuel wood harvest, just situations where people are unable to live their daily lives without these forest resources, with, without harvesting these forest resources. Um, you know, so uh, forest resource harvest, livestock um, herding. So a lot of local herders in red panda habitat will cut down trees to create uh, grazing areas for their livestock. They will also use the wood they collect from forests to build their herder huts. Um, so, so a lot of red panda habitat is, you know, consequently lost because of uh, people's behavior, um, people's sort of actions due to, you know, lack of alternatives for them. So, plant a red panda home is sort of it's part of a, a, a multi-tiered approach. You know, on one on one tier we have our more conservation, you know, focus. So uh habitat management, sustainable habitat management, habitat protection and education. Um so essentially that collectively helps to protect the forest. Then on this other tier we have, you know, restoring what hasn't been protected. Um, because so much red panda habitat is not intact. Uh, red panda habitat in Nepal has been fragmented to about 400 forest patches. Um, so red pandas, like a lot of species, a lot of forest dwelling species need corridors. They need, they need uh, large enough areas to find food, find shelter, escape predators. and so while we're working with local people to preserve what is left, we're also working with local people to plant trees and to reforest the areas that didn't get protected. Um, and, you know, this holistic approach is, is part of our goal to you know, create a forest corridor in Nepal that connects to protected areas in Nepal and India. Um, So there's just this biological corridor for red pandas and other threatened species to survive and to thrive. Makes sense. That's awesome. Um, So I have a question about climate change and this current initiative. So um, we all know about the liberal hoax known as climate change. (laughs) I'm kidding, of course. And um, But so as you're figuring out where you're going to plant these new trees and where you're going to build these corridors and stuff, are you guys consulting with any climatologists or anything like that? Because um, with with temperatures rising, I I assume that if anything, uh, red panda habitat um, long-term might be shifting south a little bit might be you know as 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 temperatures um change or i'm sorry sh- shifting north uh, as as temperatures change and everything are you guys just trying to hit the same exact area that they've always lived or is there anything being done for like predicting where they may end up 
That's a good question. I, I, I know that as part of the Nepal Red Panda Conservation Action Plan, which is essentially what we use to guide our work in Nepal, um, climate change is an important part of that. It's, it's, it's a core objective for the plan. But as far as us moving where we're restoring habitat due to climate change, that's not something I can really speak to. Um, I mean, I obviously part of how this campaign in particular and really all of our campaigns, um, specifically our, our habitat management um, or uh, habitat protection programs, they are obviously either protecting trees or we're, we're planting new trees, which obviously helps to you know, combat climate change. Um, so climate change is obviously a priority for us. Red pandas are an arboreal species. So there's already this need to provide trees for their habitat. Um, but obviously when we plant trees or when we protect trees, we're also helping to, um, among another, among many things, uh, combat climate change. So. Cool. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, awesome. So, um, I, just in general, when it comes to conservation, if you were to meet someone tomorrow who has never really thought about conservation before, but now for the first time is like, ooh, I want to get involved, how would you tell them to go about doing that? To get involved with red panda conservation? Just sure, or conservation in general, either way. Because I know Red Panda Conservation, you just look up Red Panda Network and give you guys all the money and do all the cool <laughs> things, and it'll be fine. But no, just um, anyone who just ha- like is discovering a heart for conservation. Yeah, great question. I mean, I think, I mean, there's a few a few sort of ways you could really get engaged in conservation. Um, obviously some of these opportunities are limited right now with, with the coronavirus, but I mean, fortunately with social media and everything being, or most things being virtual now, um, you know, find, find an event, find a virtual event, find maybe a way you could volunteer. Um, I mean, I know, I know that we offer volunteer opportunities, a lot of zoos, um, which, you know, people don't always know this, but zoos are very involved in conservation, at least, at least the ones that are, um, you know, accredited and support global, you know, species management, management plans. We work with many of them that have red pandas, um, and other, you know, other nonprofits too, that are, that are doing conservation. Volunteering is always a great way to not only support their mission, but it's also, you know, a great way to sort of, um, feel like you're making a difference and, um, you know, whether this is on a volunteer level or whether this is on a just 
sort of a, a personal, you know, advocacy level, you know, spread the word, tell your friends about, you know, for example, I mean, lot, still, I think probably, I don't know if it's most people, but there are a lot of people left in this planet who, who don't know what red pandas are. Um, I still will, will come in contact with people that don't really, or who just found out about red pandas. Um, so, you know, tell your friends about red pandas, you know, make sure, you know, we, we really try to empower people to share their love for red pandas, but make sure that we're being responsible in our communication, because as we all know, red pandas are cute and their, their temperament leads people to believe that they may make good pets. We of course (laughs) know that that's not, that's not the truth. And, um, so, you, you know, make sure when you're, when you're, you know, helping to raise red panda awareness that you're letting people know that they're obviously adorable, but they belong in the wild. Um, and so, uh, I mean, sort of an opportunity that's, that's coming out of the current state of the world is, you know, there's a lot of creative and fun opportunities to, uh, to support nonprofits. Um, we have a few, what we call, uh, peer to peer campaigns that we, we usually have at least one going throughout the year. Um, and they're fun. You know, we, we try to make them health focused. So we've had run for red pandas. We've had, um, we're just starting to do this, this campaign called ride for red pandas. Um, and it's, it's, you know, ways that you can stay healthy and, um, still be involved and, you know, raise awareness and raise funds for conservation. Is ride for Uh, red pandas through like a Peloton type thing or something like that? Yeah. Or any stationary exercise bike or, or a regular bicycle. If you, you know, happen to live in a place where there's not winter happening. So I guess the Southern hemisphere, (laughs) I guess. (laughs) So, yeah, I, I, you know, as, as much as, you know, the, the, the pandemic has made things challenging. I mean, it, it, it also has made it pretty, you know, um, accessible. It's made things accessible for people on a level that I I don't think it's ever, it's ever been like, I mean, you know, you can sign up for events, you can, join webinars you can do all from your you know home and um it's usually either free or cheaper than it would be to travel and um or join in person so you know i think there's a lot of and i think any of these are great ways to get started if you've never really been involved in conservation excellent great 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 uh advice there um so i have a question about uh recent science uh, so red pandas, often thought to be two subspecies, now thought to be two different species. First of all, I will tell you that I have I have spoken to some scientists who disagree pretty vehemently about that. Um, it's kind of entertaining right now, but for the for the now, let's say that they they are truly two species. Uh, what effect does that have on red panda conservation? Good question. So, yeah, I mean. 
I think I think the science community seems pretty split on this on this idea. Um, I know that our board chair Angela Gladstone, who, um, so we recently released an article called "Red Panda: Two Species or One," and. I thought it was interesting that you guys were jumping in there. Actually, I was I was a little <laughs> surprised when I saw that pop up. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, um, it's yeah, it's uh, something that we didn't respond to initially, um, but I think we wanted to make sure that there wasn't this notion, you know, or or, or people weren't getting too swept up in this being a fact uh i i think that we're all pretty confident that this is more of just a theory um that's not been fully proven and so this article we really tried to be object i mean of course we were trying to be objective but we also were trying to bring up you know, the possibility of this not being true and that these are potentially just subspecies. Um, but if, if it is true, then what it does is, well, first of all, so just the idea of, of them being two species, just red pandas getting that sort of global attention um, could be beneficial in that, you know, scientists are looking at this species and you know they're 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 getting sort of a priority um in the in the the scientific realm uh as far as you know their status and everything which which could benefit the species just um just kind of knowing where they're at as far as numbers and everything if they are two species that means that their numbers are essentially maybe not split 50-50 but um, each species is probably more endangered than they already are because now there's two species, you know, I mean, at most there's 10,000 red pandas in the wild and there could be as few as 2,500. So if, if, you know, um, the, the Stiani subspecies or species in China, you know, if that makes up say 60% of them, then, you know, there's, far less Stiani and there's obviously far less of the, the Fulgens, Fulgens species or subspecies that, which is the, the Himalayan species that, that we currently work to protect. Um, so I, I think that, you know, if we ever reach a place where it's been determined that they are two species, then I think, you know, the conservation community is going to have to, respond because you know now we're not just dealing with one species that's at this level of endangered you know now there's two species that are probably critically endangered so right now that makes a lot of sense um so what effect does helping red pandas have on other species i know that they're referred to as an umbrella species oftentimes how does that work yeah, so umbrella species, you could also call them a landscape species. And really what that means is that, and it, it's sort of connected to the fact that they are a flagship species. 
of the the eastern Himalayan ecoregion. Um, it's a really important. It's uh, it's actually a biodiversity hotspot, um, and they are a flagship species of that, which means they are a charismatic species that people that people become very mobilized to protect. So they, you know, they're cute. They're, they are unique species. Um, there's not really a lot of species like them or any species like them, unless they're, I guess there's two species of them and then I guess they're <laughs> like each other. Right. But so, you know, and with that sort of flagship status, they are um, also, they have a, a pretty decent size home range um, and they're a tree dwelling species. So by preserving them, we're, we're, needing, we're needing to preserve, you know, the entire forest because they need the forest to survive. So when we're preserving them, we're also, you know, preserving not only the you know, the biotic, um, you know, trees and, and the, the actual environment, but also the, um, you know, the species that, that live with the, the sympatric species that live with them. So, you know, there's leopards, there's Himalayan black bears, um, you know, depending on what part of the range, there's pangolins, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of threatened species that, that live in the same, forests as red pandas um and you know red pandas are also an indicator species which is really important as well so an indicator species is something that if they are around that's sort of you know or if they're not around that's sort of an indicator of the health of the ecosystem so if there are you know, if we're finding that, like, for example, you know, we, we had, um, when we were doing eco trips, we were consistently having trips where people would see between five and 12 red pandas during a one eco trip, um, in the wild, which is incredible. And part of that is because our forest guardians have just become so, you know, awesome at, at tracking them. But the other reason is because we're confident that their numbers are growing where we're working. So that, you know, seeing those red pandas at such encouraging numbers indicates that the forests are healthy, that, you know, there's enough bamboo for them to eat. Bamboo is a temperamental plant. And if there are red pandas, or we could look at it this way, if there's, if there's bamboo, that's an indicator that it's a healthy forest. And if there's also red pandas, that's an indicator that the forest is functioning the way it needs to. So yeah, red pandas are an umbrella species. They're also an indicator and a flagship. So they're important on, on many, many levels. Very cool. Very cool. And you've talked about eco trips repeatedly, and I am so desperate to get on one at some point. Um, why don't you tell my listeners about what a red panda eco trip is like? It's phenomenal. It's, it's really, really great. I mean, I got to go on one in 2016 and 
yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting talking to people who've also been so during the first Panda forum call that I had with with Gunjan, um, you know, who got to see her her actually her first red panda that she had seen, you know, ever like she had never seen one in a zoo, and she it happened to be in the wild, which. That I mean, that's just awesome seeing your first red panda in its natural habitat. I mean, that that's just unforgettable. But you know, there's something really special about seeing a red panda in the wild. I mean, obviously, it's 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 really spectacular to see any animal in their in their native habitat. But um, to see a red panda, you you earn it. I mean, you really earn it. Like, I mean, not only, you know, do you have to fly to Nepal, which depending on where you live can be quite, quite the trip, but then getting from Kathmandu to where the eco trips are located, which are obviously in the Himalayas. Um, you know, it's a few, it's a few days to actually get to where you can see a red panda. Um, and it can take a couple days to, to, you know, locate them. We've gotten a lot better at finding them, but you know, it's, it's not like you arrive there and you're taken in a Jeep and they're, you know, someone's pointing, Oh, there, there's a red panda. It's like, you're hiking around for a while and just like the most just spectacular forest. I mean, you know, I, I didn't know that rhododendrons grew as trees until I started working with Red Panda Network and seeing photos. And then when I saw these rhododendron forests, it was just, you know, it just, it was just beautiful. Um, But when you finally see a red panda, when you're looking up at it and it's, you know, being adorable and, um, you know, (laughs) being curious, but also guarded, which is good. Um, it's just this really special moment and, you know, everyone's whispering because, you know, one, we, we follow this very strict protocol with our ego trips, essentially, you know, create as little disturbance, um, you know, don't stress out the animal, small groups only go, you know, certain times a year, so many times a year. Um, and so everyone's whispering like, Oh my gosh, there's a red panda. Oh my gosh. And, <laughs> People are crying. I mean, it's not uncommon for people to tear up. Um, I admit I teared up. Um, well, what's funny is I had been working for the organization for a few years before I I was able to go on a trip. Um, so, you know, it was a lot of sort of this buildup. Um, and it usually is for most people because most people have known about Red Panas for a while before they actually join an eco trip. Um, but I, I strongly recommend it. I mean, it's it's... Uh, there's nothing like it. I mean, there's nothing like, I mean, you're all, you know, let's not forget you're looking at the Himalayas. Also, you're standing on these, like (laughs) what, what, what they call foothills, but mind you, they're only called foothills because they're right up against the Himalayas in, in the, in the States, these foothills would be very, very large mountains. And these are the mountains that, that the red pandas live on. Um, And they're right up, you know, against Everest and, and, and Kanjanjunga and, you know, all these huge peaks. And so it's, it's really, it's really amazing. 
That is so cool. Yeah, it is. It is my ultimate dream to do one of those. Well, that and you know to get one of the jackets. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you that if you you do an eco trip, since you're already over there, we could probably hook you up with a jacket. <laughs> All right, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> um, okay, cool. So, I guess uh, I have two other questions for you. Number one is just tell me your favorite fact or or interesting thing about red pandas. <laughs> I, I I love this question. I, I always ask it during our uh, live chats too. Huh. Um, I mean, I don't have one favorite. I have a lot, but I'll say that I love the huff quack. I mean, who doesn't love the huff quack? Yes. I mean, the, uh, I mean, just the, the name huff quack is just perfect. Um, I mean, it's, it's a sound that they'll make, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like when they stand on their hind legs, actually, it's something they'll do when they're upset about something. So it's not something I want to hear or see them do often, but in the right context, um, it's really cute and just really, you know, I mean, it's such a, it's such a, I don't know, like a, it's symbolic of just how awesome this species this species really is. I mean, hey y'all, it's time for interrupting John, but then you probably knew that was coming. All righty, here is what a huff quack sounds like. Yep, they huff and they quack. Okay, back to the interview. You know, they're 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 kind of funny, like entertaining and um just also really cute and just, you know, they, they really have personalities. I mean, they're, you know, every red panda is different, um, you know, and, and, and sort of seeing their little personalities and their, you know, mannerisms and everything is, um, is just really special. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've gotten to hang out in person with a bunch of them now at different zoos and yeah, every one of them's different. I've hung out with an old lady who's just kind of crotchety and a, a young <laughs> dude who was excited to play and, and another dude who was, you know, a little cautious, might take a berry and then, then walk away and look, look back a little confused. Like, what are you doing? And they're all, yeah, completely different and they're all wonderful, but I do love that about them. Um, yeah, and then my final question for you, and this this one's going to be a little tricky, maybe. Um, I don't know how often you've gotten to be hands-on with animals in general, but uh, there's a tradition on this podcast where I ask for what I call the Rossafari poop story. I I don't have a personal experience, but I uh, I remember a couple of years ago we we posted a like a fun fact on, on social media. And it was about the red panda latrine sites that they have in the wild, um, which fun fact is, is part of our strategy to, to locate red pandas in the wild. So we actually use their latrine sites. They're, they're the, the usually old growth trees and old growth forests. Um, so these trees that red pandas, like to use for their communal latrine sites. So their toilets in the wild, if you want to call them that. (laughs) And, um, one of the comments on the, the Facebook post was a zookeeper. And I can't remember if, if they were a he or she, but I just remember them 
saying that the red panda in the zoo like didn't do that at all. Um, like they would actually uh, poop just all over the the <laughs> <laughs> enclosure, and it would just be like in a different location every time, and they would like try to hide it. And it was just, it was so funny, the contrast between what they do in the wild and what this red panda was doing. Like the zookeeper was just like, yeah, that does not happen at all with my red panda, like at my zoo. That's amazing. I just thought that was really funny. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. Yeah. Thank you for having me. This has been great. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the part where I talk after the interview. I know this is your real favorite part. (laughs) No, but seriously, I am incredibly grateful to Terrence and everyone at Red Panda Network for being on the podcast and also just for the amazing work they do, both in the United States and out in the wild in Nepal. What an amazing organization. As a matter of fact, please make sure that you're looking at my Facebook and Instagram accounts because I'm definitely going to be doing a fundraiser for Red Panda Network going along with this episode. Also, I can't say what it is yet, and I can't promise that it's going to happen, but I am working on something pretty darn special with Terrence that I'm hoping we'll be able to make happen for all of you soon. Keep your fingers crossed and your eyes on my Instagram and Facebook. You can check out Red Panda Network on Instagram and Facebook at Red Panda Network, or also go to their website, which is redpandanetwork.org. And of course, my Instagram and Facebook are at Ross Safari. Alrighty, here are those credits y'all love so dang much. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Ross Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Ross Safari, on the web at rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.